Hi, this is meteorologist Don Paul with your second episode on my brand new weather and climate and occasional laughter type podcast. And today I bring you a very non-committal winter outlook. Now, I know most people familiar with me are in Western New York. I've been working uh, in Buffalo television since 1984. Now, I'm mostly retired from TV, but I still write three articles per week for the online edition of the Buffalo News, again, mostly on weather and climate. And winter outlooks are beginning to multiply at this time of the year. Uh, the Climate Prediction Center, which is a branch of the National Weather Service, will put out a winter outlook later this month. And uh, they don't work very well. In fact, I once ran into a previous director of the Climate Prediction Center at a weather conference and asked him what he thought of having to hold a news conference with NOAA and give out a winter outlook in October. And he said, not very much, not our idea. Uh, they don't work, they never have worked very well, but they're working even less well as time evolves, global warming evolves, and the number of variables which can change weather patterns during a given late fall and winter multiply. That is, things are getting more complicated. And uh, it happens that right now we're in a moderate La Nina, that is a migration of cool, relatively speaking, Pacific tropical waters to the eastern tropical Pacific, while easterly winds across the equator and near the equator push the warmer temperatures to the western Pacific. The cool water in the east tends to be associated with pumping the jet stream up over the Gulf of Alaska and having it drop down across Northwest Canada, bringing cooler and wetter than average conditions during the late fall and winter to the Pacific Northwest and to the North Central states. And then as you get into the Great Lakes in the Northeast, greater uncertainty and more uneven correlations occur with ups and downs. Uh, there is a tendency for winters with a moderate La Nina in Western New York to end up being, when you add all the numbers up, warmer than average, but not tremendously warmer than average with switchable patterns. La Nina and its counterpart, El Nino, where the warm waters are in the Eastern Pacific, are somewhat more predictable farther out and further out in time, and they last longer than other variables that I'm going to just toss into the mix here. There's something called the North Atlantic Oscillation and another one called the Arctic Oscillation, which are uh, oscillations between ridging of high pressure over uh, Greenland, causing the jet stream to buckle southward over the eastern United States, bringing cold weather and uh, sometimes stormy weather up the east coast. That's the cold phase of the North Atlantic Oscillation. And the warm phase is very different in which uh, the jet stream tends to run across the country from west to east, flooding the lower 48 more often than not with Pacific air, which as it sounds is not terribly cold air. So if you get a winter with a lot of time spent under a positive North Atlantic Oscillation, uh, it will tend to be warmer than average, especially in the Eastern United States for those times during which the NAO, the North Atlantic Oscillation, is in its warmer phase. Uh, the problem is that while La Nina and El Nino can be predicted 
much farther out in advance, further out in advance, and last longer, the NAO and the AO can only be predicted with a fair amount of accuracy about two weeks in advance. And uh, these oscillations on what's today, October 7th, for let's say late December or early January, how they're going to be at that time are not knowable in the sciences. In other words, I can't tell you on October 7th that the polar jet stream is going to take a drastic dive to the south around Christmas time for about five days. Can't do it. It may happen, but there's no evidence available to me and my colleagues to make such a prediction. Uh, and with the warming of the Arctic, which has accelerated, just as predicted in climate models back in the 1980s, the Arctic warms more easily because it's an Arctic Ocean. And when the reflective ice melts, it leaves underneath it uh, dark ocean waters, which soak up ocean heat, uh, so solar heat. And the uh, tundra thaws, the darker land also absorbs more heat than snow covered land. So if we're getting Arctic warming, and we sure are, the Arctic is warming two to four times faster than the rest of the globe that was predicted in the 1980s, it has verified. It means that there is less temperature contrast between the high latitudes, I mentioned this in the previous episode, and the middle latitudes. And the lessening of that temperature contrast slows down and weakens the polar jet stream. And when the polar jet stream weakens, it often just kind of buckles into a more north-south, up-and-down wavy pattern and gets blocked up. And uh, these sudden dippings of the polar jet stream eight to 10 weeks from now cannot be predicted on October 7th or October 17th or October 27th for that matter. So all that being said, with a moderate La Nina, I might have a slight tendency to lean toward winter ending up a little milder than average in our region. And um, if you're listening elsewhere in the country, over most of the country, the Climate Prediction Center through the end of December is predicting decent probabilities for above average temperatures most days across the entire lower 48 states uh, with the greatest positive anomalies over the southwest United States. Some of that is persistence from what we've had the last few months. But that doesn't mean that that overall pattern can't go all to hell for a week or a couple of weeks at a time. Uh, and so when I say I, I lean toward the winter ending up being a little milder than average when all is said and done, that's not going to help you if we have a sudden pattern shift that can't be foreseen more than uh, a week in advance as far as precipitation goes or a couple of weeks in advance as far as temperature trends go. Uh, and just to leave you with a final example for those of us in Western New York and in the Buffalo area, in December 2001, uh, not too much had been going on, but the week prior to Christmas week, uh, the models that were available at that time, more primitive than what we have now, began showing a clear-cut collapsing of the polar jet stream over the Great Lakes. And um, this could be seen 
a little less than a week in advance. And the pattern also suggested frequent episodes of winds out of the southwest coming up the fetch of Lake Erie. And I'm going to talk about lake effect snow uh, in another episode because that, that has its own complexities. But up to four or five days in advance of that week, it became apparent that there was some real potential not only for much colder weather, but in the areas northeast of Lake Erie, much snowier weather with lots and lots of lake effect snow. It verified. In fact, both the cold and the snow verified. And Christmas week, Buffalo endured 82 inches of snow, the snowiest week in history for Buffalo, which goes back to 1871, which made December of 2001 the snowiest month in Buffalo history. No one in October could have seen that coming. And what followed after that pattern relaxed was a more mundane winter with uh, frequent periods of above average temperatures and the rest of the winter's snowfall, having gotten its tremendous boost from that week, did end up being above average. But if you were to exclude that one ferocious week, the rest of the winter was not particularly a snowy winter. So that's why this is a non-committal winter outlook. In other words, I don't do them. I don't believe in them, and I'm not alone in this opinion. Uh, the longer I've been engaged in meteorology, the less impressed I am by the track record of seasonal outlooks. They're worth timing. If, for example, during the growing season, you could tell grain farmers in the plains and the Midwest, you're going to have more persistent drought this year, they then, if they had advance notice, could plant different uh, crops that are less water dependent and more likely to survive a drought condition. Uh, so these kinds of seasonal outlooks are definitely worth the effort. If you could warn transportation and utility interests that uh, we're going to have an exceptionally cold winter, which has become less likely with the advent of global warming, but still not out of the question, that would allow utilities and transportation interests to have more lead time to prepare for more extreme conditions. So I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing seasonal outlooks. I'm saying I don't have to, <laughs> I don't want to, and I have lots and lots of degreed meteorologist friends who are in full agreement with me. When you're in television, you're almost required during the November rating sweeps period to do one. I had to do them every year for most of my career, whether or not I felt confident in doing them. Now I don't. So that is my non-committal winter outlook. Again, focusing a little more on Western New York, we pick up more national listeners to this new podcast. I will adjust the perspective on some of my episodes accordingly. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will come back to this podcast. Uh, as of now, if I pick up enough listeners, I'm going to be doing very frequent episodes. So uh, they'll sit up there for a short period of time before there's a new one. Thanks.